Welcome to another episode of the Listen In Podcast, the internet's premier music podcast. What? Wow. <laughs> did I bring the energy? You did. You brought the okay, heat. Okay, good. I got I to give it good. to you. We need it. So it, for Prime Team members or for listeners of the show, if you stick around till well after the show is over, you'll hear some pre-talk banter between yep. Jake and I. Yep. And we, we had some issues. We had some trials, some tribulations that we needed to get past. And we were saying we need to bring the energy. We need to bring the heat today. Some technical issues um, hampered us in the early going of the production mm-hmm. of this episode. But um, uh, like I said before, out of the depths of despair will be born great art. And this, this podcast must live on. <laughs> we'll rise like Phoenix from the ashes. Episode 34, 34. has to go on. That's right. Has 34. to go on. So this is actually a really important episode for us. Uh, we're recapping... Newport Folk Fest 2016. Uh, this was, well, Jake and I went this past weekend. We were there for Saturday and Sunday of the festival. This is our first time ever attending. Um, and it honestly was a lot of fun. It was really, really cool. It was a great experience. Um, what were your overall impressions of, of Newport Folk Fest, Jake? And how does it compare to some of the other festivals or live music experiences that you've been to? So here's the thing. I saw this item on our our docket here, and I realized I don't think I've been to another uh, music festival. I know you've been to Boston Calling a handful of times. I've actually never been. Mm. Uh, I haven't been to, like, Firefly. I haven't been to Bonnaroo. I haven't been to... Lala. Never been to That's Happening This Week. That's right. In Chi-Town. Coachella. Chi-Town Hero. Um... So no, so compared to other festivals, it was the best I've ever been to, hands down, because I've never been to another one. But it was a really great time. We saw a lot of uh, interesting acts, as we'll get into. And uh, but compared to other live music experiences, um, really, really different. Obviously, it kind of had the feel of like, uh, I don't know, like an amusement park type of thing, where you keep you have always have to bounce around to other mm-hmm. things. You, and like there's some, lines everywhere. There's it's lines hot. everywhere. It's overpriced. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. We're we're starting to focus on some of the negatives here. Right. I wanna, I wanna give you my overall impression. So, someone who has been to a Boston Calling Music Festival, which is another festival in the area in the region, um, it is definitely different. It is. It feels a lot different, and by that I mean. It. The artists who are there and the people who are performing, they seem to understand the history and the meaning of what it is all about to play at the fort. And they bring a little something extra. The fans who are going seem to also understand that it's a big deal. It's important. There's a lot of history. They seem to be better fans. They seem to be cheering a little bit louder, a little more attentive. It really is, and I I am not this kind of guy, because I think this is bullshit for the most part, but honestly, it really was like a music brings people together feeling Mm -hmm. there. I don't know if I was buying too much into the the whole vibe, but I really did get that impression, despite the fact that, you know, it was really hot, it was, you know, it was crowded, but I, I looked past all that, and I thought, you know what, this is actually an amazing thing to have put on in our home region yeah you know pretty close to home two hours away um that was really my overall takeaway well i think it does have to do with yeah it's all the history it's all the no shitty pun intended folklore of Mm -hmm. the of the festival that sort of 
builds up the reputation of, of Newport ahead of time. And you heard a lot of artists during their sets or after songs or at any point they'd say, you know, we know what a big deal it is to be here. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys don't know what it means to us to be here. And you, you felt that there was a lot of buy-in from the fans in the crowd as well. It was definitely this feeling of, you know, it does feel like it's an important festival. I feel like, and I don't know necessarily because, again, I haven't been, but I feel like if you were to go to a Bonnaroo or something like that, there's less of that. Yeah. I don't know how much there is tied in with history. I think no small part of it has to do with Dylan's 1965 electric set. I mean, I think that's the most famous thing that's happened at Newport Folk. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the event that sort of has cemented it as important, in quotes. Like, yeah. And the thing is, is it like that... Um, that year's folk festival is one of the the historical moments, the like sort of watershed moments yeah. you hear about musically, in any sort of chronology you'll ever read about right. music or about folk music or rock or like festival culture, yeah. anything like that. So I definitely think there's buy-in from the audience and from the bands alike. And so I can't compare it to other festivals, like I said, but. Um, I did enjoy that atmosphere overall and that general vibe that I was getting. Yeah. I would say having a music festival in late July is an interesting call because it was real hot the first day. Yeah. Overbearingly so. It was like in the mid-90s. You would be sweating in the direct sunlight. And you're mostly always in the direct sunlight. Because the fort does not have a lot of shade. Uh, before we get into like what we would do differently, mm-hmm. I want to talk about that point you just made about like Dylan and the history and stuff so Newport Folk Fest was one of the first if not the first music festivals so just in in that context there's a ton of history and then on top of that you put on Dylan's performance which fun fact didn't actually happen at the fort it happened at a different venue until they switched over to the fort I think in the 80s at some time but um, you're right a lot of the artists there they get it they understand what a big deal it is to play there Compared to other music festivals, and honestly, my experience has been with Boston Calling, this one was is bigger than Boston Calling because it has more stages. Um, but I would say compared to other ones that I've seen streamed live or seen pictures of or follow along with on Twitter or what have you, this one I think feels a lot more intimate because of the different stages that they have. So you obviously have the main stage, which is the fourth stage, which is their biggest one. They have their most popular headliners there but you also have some of the other ones like the quad stage or the museum stage or the harbor stage where you can get really really close to the performers and I think that lends itself to a little bit more intimacy and a little bit of a more unique experience than what you would get in one of these bigger festivals where even at the smallest stage you're probably still a good 20-30 feet back and it's just not the same and I think Newport does a good job of being a big festival that has over 10,000 people go, but also still having kind of that intimate and community vibe. I would agree. I think the only stage where I felt like I was at a traditional modern music festival was that Ford stage. And that's the great... Right on the harbor. That's the great thing, though, because you get those intimate shows at some of the other stages, but you still get that big festival feel out at the main Ford stage, which... And not for nothing has an amazing view for not only the fans there but also the artists and I was reading a lot of recaps after and the artists are like you can't beat that view at the main stage well, looking out into the harbor it's beautiful and they have the beer pier right near yeah. there so like when we were watching like Elvis Costello 
we were walking along this pier where you could you could um, buy beer tokens and, and grab some beers and just drink along this like really scenic, beautiful, breezy pier. Yep. It was really nice. Another point about um, the Dylan thing, it's it's really interesting to me um, to see Newport Folk Festival now. Um, and I mean, I think I knew this just intuitively. But it's interesting how much it has changed since then. I mean, I guess Dylan's performance is no small part of it. But um, in 1965, the reason it was such a big deal um, that Dylan went electric was that the folk festival was full of diehards who their whole thing was, when you're here, you play folk music because folk music was a reaction to commercial music. Mm -hmm. It was about creating a real, honest form of folk art that was not commercial and that was, like, authentic. And so that was why all that hubbub happened when Dylan got out there and started playing the electric side of, of um, bringing it all back home. Judas. Right, yeah. And so I think that was actually the festival also, it had to be, where the, the, the sort of um, the mythology of it is that Pete Seeger, the old folky, yep. got out on stage and tried to cut his core with an axe. Yep. And Dude. it's hilarious because as we're you know going to the festival, and we'll talk about the artists more in depth, but... An Alabama Shakes, a Frightened Rabbit, you know, uh, Elvis Costello, pretty much most of the middle brother, pretty much everybody who was playing um, was incorporating electric uh, instruments. Yeah, even somebody like Julian Baker, who is a solo act, who plays yep. quiet, you know, more personal songs, still plugged in, still not not just an acoustic guitar. No, she's playing a telly. One, one of the only people who we saw up there on his own by himself, and we're going to get into him later, yeah, was okay. Father John Misty. And he made some comments, actually, about the folk thing. Yeah, okay. so it, it is interesting to, to see the types of acts that they're getting there now, and, and the different definition, I think, that folk music has taken on in the 21st century. You get people who... Sound like the the indie pop of of Monsters and Men. You get people who are integrating some country. You get you know alt country. You get blues, R and B. We even had a jazz band playing. So even though Jazz Fest is it, next week, it, right? So you, we get a lot of different acts, which I think is interesting. And you get a mixture of up and coming newbies, established bands, and then also absolute legends too. Right. So. You're getting a mix of everything, and these are people you're not going to see at you know the main stage of Coachella or Lollapalooza. Right. For example, we saw Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills and Nash, um, one of the the bands that played the original Woodstock. So yeah, we right. saw some some and, serious and legends there. What I also like too is the artists who play there seem to be channeling what folk used to mean, though. Kind of that. Um, that spirit of protest and having the, the songs mean something like politically. We heard a lot of people um, you know, call out Donald Trump and make comments about that, which the crowd ate up. Um, you had people just basically channeling that in general, not so much in the style of songs that they were playing, but just in some of the choices that they made in the context of their own music. Some of the energy in general yeah. in the room, not a room, in the field that yeah. we were in. Yeah. Um, saw a couple Trump shirts, though, which was interesting. And here's the other thing. Yeah, I hope those people were being, like, ironic. It's a weird way to be ironic yeah. in an election that's, like, neck and neck, but right. okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is, I wonder when along the line, and I legitimately don't know, 
where in history it became fine at Newport Folk Festival to basically just play rock music. Because I don't think it was like, it's not like what happened was Dylan goes electric in 65, and then by 66 it's cool. Like, I'm sure after that, people were like, well, we're not going to let this happen again. That's a really good question, and I think part of it is probably just how folk music and, and music like that has changed over time. I think it's probably... You know, if you look at the the 21st century, who is playing just stereotypical folk music? You could look at somebody like Tallest Man on Earth. Even he has incorporated a full band and electric instruments as well. I feel like what ends up happening is people can only take this type of music so far anymore, so they start to experiment and do different things using regular folk music is kind of a, a baseline or a or, or, or a foundation for what they end up doing. When in folk music, like capital F folk music, um, was really limiting to a lot of artists right. who weren't just interested in performing things within the trappings of what that music is. I mean, that's exactly what did happen to Bob Dylan, was he was just a songwriter who happened to, in that early phase of his career, be very interested in Woody Guthrie, and protest songwriting and so he did some of that and then felt limited by it and the folk scene um, in a way that you really don't see that much anymore because I think back then scenes and like the group you were associated with was even more important they really lashed out against him they and, I, and you wouldn't see that at all now you wouldn't and I think a part of that is a could be a larger and this could be a, a conversation for a different podcast I think it's a larger conversation and a look at music fandom now with the internet and with streaming services and with so much music out there it's almost not possible to only listen to one genre or be a part of one scene just because there's so much out there right it's only natural that folk fest ends up having margot price a country uh music um artist artist frightened rabbit in indie rock act Somebody like a classic Graham Nash, folky, you know, Patti Smith, Alabama Shakes. It's, it only makes sense that you'd get such a diverse range of acts. William, what I was getting at is without the philosophical ties that, that old folkies had back in the, in the 60s and 50s, in like the Greenwich Village scenes and stuff like that, there's no, like, where would that be coming from? It, it, beca- it comes across as disingenuous. Right. Someone getting up there and singing songs in the style of Pete Seeger or in the style of Woody Guthrie. Right. Unless it's coming from a place of, of real protest or of real social reaction, it sort of seems forced. And mm-hmm. actually, it would seem forced to do it in that style because that style was a reaction to those problems that were happening then. Exactly. It, like, real folk art and real folk music should theoretically today be something totally different. Right. And I, th- Yeah, and I don't know that we have that same type of music or that same reaction to things happening in music right now. It might be rap and R&B. Yeah, That might be our folk music today. That might be the people who are the most reactive to social things that are going on and making music about it, like Kendrick Lamar and Blood Orange. Yeah. Stuff like that is like modern protest music. That's a great point. And I think, again, we can get into some Father John Misty and how he's doing certain things in that regard, We have lots to say about him. A ton to say. That's going to be the whole second half of the episode is Father John Misty. Um, but my next question, Jake, is would you go back? Um, my answer to this is a resounding yes. Oh, just to the festival in general? Yeah. Oh, It's a resounding yes for me. I really got swept up in that community and that feeling of being there. Not to mention Newport's just beautiful. I love being in Newport, right on the water. 
the cool thing too, and I didn't mention this earlier, people who don't go to the festival, they still drive their they their boats right up to the to the edge there and will listen to the music and it's like a big party out on the water too. It's really, really cool. Um, so I would absolutely go back. So let's say we were to go back, Jake, and maybe maybe it's next year, maybe it's two years from now, whatever it might be. What do you do differently? Because we learned a lot after one weekend there. I think we were a little bit overwhelmed when we first got into the fort. We were. First things first, and what I learned this the second day, plan where your blanket is going oh, yeah. ahead of time. And this is the first lesson. So there are multiple stages, and you'll want to bounce around. But if you know the stage that will have most of the acts you're interested in seeing, the fort is probably the best place to do this, because that's where most of the, like, the big headliners are. Go there right when you get there. Lay a blanket down. It doesn't matter if you're there all day. Bounce around and just keep coming back intermittently throughout the day to your blanket. The first day we didn't do that. Um, well, Heather did, big friend of the pod who came along, or who met us down there rather. Um, but but on the second day we we planned ahead and Mary Kate and I and we we all brought that blanket and we laid it over with hers and so it was a better experience because there was more stability in knowing okay we can go over to the quad stage. We can catch, say, Edward Sharp or the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, and then we can make it back here for Alabama Shakes and not worry about like having a spot. It becomes a good home base for you. You can put your cooler down. You right. can have like a little drink station set up where you're mixing up drinks. Not that we would do that because not, alcohol... Because it's strictly prohibited. Outside alcohol is expressly forbidden. That's right. And we would never have we dreamed of sneaking it that. in we in Pringles canisters and cereal boxes. It's a boxes. family festival, Jake. What I would do differently... Jake, and this one was very unique to me, uh, I would buy, not buy my tickets on the secondary market. Oh, uh, this next is time a around. great one. So, Newport Folk. I almost forgot about this. I know, because it became such a non-issue. Yeah. However, Newport Folk, and it, it's insanely popular. Tickets usually sell out in a day or two. All 10,000 of them, or however many they're doing. And they put, the tickets go on sale before any of the acts are even announced. So people love it so much, and they're so confident that good people are going to come no matter what. They scoop them up as soon as they go on sale. I did not buy mine as soon as they went on sale. I waited, I think it was probably weeks or months after. I still bought it seven months in advance. However, I bought it on the secondary market, thinking it'd be fine. Bought it from SeatGeek. And the, Big friend it. of the pod. Big, do they could? Hey, SeatGeek, you want us to advertise for you? We'll do it. At this point, make it up to us for, for this Sean's ticket situation Seriously. by allowing us to like become a, a, a featured sponsor. Yeah. Anyways, bottom on SeatGeek. Get to the, the the show Saturday. Get in fine. Ticket scan, good to go. Not an issue. Not an issue. Easy breezy. Go back Sunday. Get through line. They scan my ticket. Gets denied. I'm like, oh boy. Here we go. I'm like, and I have another copy. Try that one. And can I just say, before you continue, from my perspective, because Mary-Kate and I had already made our way through, it was like looking back at uh, at just like your friend in a situation and like seeing him not get in. It's like, no, we're so close. Uh, yeah. We're so, so close. close. We're right across the gate. It's like the finish line's right there. And it, I get denied. They go, you know, you got to go to the box office. They'll straighten it out there. They'll tell you what's what. So I am like, okay, uh, hopefully they can do something for me, knowing in the back of my head there's no shot they can help me out. I go to the box office, and they go, did you buy this from somewhere other than directly from us? I said, yeah, I bought it on the secondary market. They're like, we can literally not do anything for you. 
someone had come earlier that morning with my ticket because it had gotten sold multiple times. Your heart must have sunk. I, I, yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. I didn't this, I'm going to rephrase it. What it felt like for us, it was like watching, it's like if we were involved in Argo and we're in Iran and you got stopped at customs <laughs> and you weren't allowed to come home with us. Not to, not to in any way diminish the severity <laughs> the of that situation. <laughs> but that's exactly how I felt. And it was just as bad. <laughs> in, your, in your point of view, yeah. That's like, right. yeah. But I get denied. I go to the box office. There's nothing they can do for me. They void my tickets. I'm basically stuck now outside the festival without my friends, without anything. Thank God for scalpers, okay? Oh. I come. I immediately come across a guy who goes, "You need a ticket." I'm like, "Yeah." Just lurking in the shadows, dude. Right, was right, he f- right by the box? Let office. me ask you this: Did he have like a hat and raincoat on? Was he? Did he have a toothpick and was he flipping a coin? Uh, no, he wasn't. I think it was a little hot to have like a big raincoat on. But he goes, "You need a ticket." I say, "Yeah, I do." How much is it going to cost? He gives me a figure. I honestly thought it was pretty appropriate. He could have charged double, and I still would have paid it. Uh, he probably could have charged triple, and I still would have paid it. And really? Yes. Yes. Just because what else am I going to do? Yeah. He, so Go into town. It, his ticket ends up working. We go in. We have a great time. But long story short, my advice is to, if you really want to go, do not mess around on the secondary market. You can get burned. Just get your tickets. When they go on sale, buy them right from the source. That's that's that sage advice, really, for any ticket situation. Yeah, it because is. you know, for the most part, I mean, like we were fine, and you were fine the first day. Right. You know, if you got there a little earlier, we probably would have been fine both days, and you wouldn't have this cautionary uh, tale. No, so the people scanned it. The people who also had my ticket got there at seven thirty a.m. Well, I'm just saying, theoretically, if we got there before them, right, we may not be able to pass along this message of caution. Right, um, but. Uh, but yeah, that was that was rough um, to see, and I was I was worried for you. Yeah, I was uh, you know it, you know I I was uh, displeased and very upset for you. I didn't yeah. do anything proactive for you. I couldn't do anything. You couldn't do. But it's a helpless feeling because it. it's like, well, now what do we do? Right. Is this a situation where we should like in solidarity leave with Hell him? Hell no, no way. I might have. No, I would not have allowed that to happen. Definitely uh, not. But definitely not. It just feels so unfair, no, though, in that it's, kind of situation. Hey, you, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, Jake. And by the bull, I mean the secondary ticket market. Right. See, That's it. just kind of, yeah, it's your bed, you got to lie in it. Sponsor Speaking of Speaking in, in just these proverbs. But the other, <laughs> thing, the other thing that I would advise is, um, you know, it's going to be hot. Stay hydrated. Stay cool. I know a few of us that first day didn't feel great. Um, so just keep that in mind. It was really hot. It would have been hard to... You'd have to be actively filling up water a lot to stay completely hydrated yeah. through that first day. Yeah. Because it was one of those days where it was 95-ish degrees and truly not a cloud in the sky, just straight sun, direct yeah. light on yeah. your head. Yeah, so sunblock, we did, hats, water, you need the whole nine. We did buy big floppy festival hats. We did. That would be my advice as well. Get a nice hat to shade you. It honestly really, really helped. And I think that this week, that has to be the whitest thing we both did this week. Yes. Um, I pulled out another win this week in that you in did. that mini you game. Did. It's okay. Uh, I'm 2-0 and on the season, so it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. 
But, you know, it happened, and Sean, I'm sure you'll catch up in the standings. Yeah. This week we won't have one worth voting, because we did the same thing. We did things. the same thing. But next week we'll be back at you with, with round number three. <laughs> um, the other thing, quickly, before we move on, is I would also advise, don't be afraid to just camp out at one certain stage and watch people who you didn't really have plans to watch at all. Because you're going to end up seeing great performances no matter what. And that, that happened to us. We'll get to that in a little bit when we talk generally about uh, our favorite people that we saw. But one more piece of advice. Yep. Maybe eat before and then right after. Because yeah. the food was good, not great. It was serviceable. I, the falafel wraps were good. Right. I liked those. Yeah. But they were $9, which is not cheap. I don't know. So Drink snacks. Don't worry too much about like eating while you're there. Well, not eat, like not eating their food. Right. It try honestly. It'd, Fill it'd, up on beer at the at the the beer pier. Right. Yeah. It'd be worth it to to come fed. Yeah. Like if you're staying at a hotel, check out the Continental Breakfast. We did that. <laughs> Got a couple bagels and muffins mm-hmm. and like and like maybe fifty cent yogurts. A yogurt. Yeah. Yeah, and ate those. Fill up on carbs. Yep. Stock up on roughage. Yeah. And uh, and you're good to go through most of the day. Yeah, beer will carry you the rest of it the will. way. It will. It'll get you to the finish line. Then you go get a lobster roll after. Right. Yes, you do. And so those were our tips, which are stay hydrated, come fed, don't buy from the secondary market, and put a blanket down at get a home base going. Get a home base going early. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. So that's our advice. I would absolutely go back. Uh, I, would I think too. if we got more people to come. Uh, and we like stayed maybe in a closer location. We had a total. Oh, that's of... my, I got another one too for you. Book your hotel well in advance too, and be mindful of where your hotel is. Ours worked out fine. It was good, but it was not even in Newport. It was in Middletown, the next town over. It... We had to Uber back and forth. We had to drive back and forth. If we could have stayed in downtown Newport and only had to take the water taxi over, would have been so much better. Because drinking is no small part of Newport Folk Festival. No. It's well, for certain people, you know, for young people like us, that's definitely part of it. You want to have a good time. Have a couple of drinks. Yeah, sure. And you want to be safe. Right, right. You know, and people, you know, it's just a part of the atmosphere. There's beer all over the place. Right. People are drinking. Right. It's a fun time. Right. Um, and yeah, I. so basically, actually, if you haven't booked your hotel yet, you're actually out of luck. Honestly, people have probably already booked them. We need to decide in the next, like, month, maybe even in the next couple of weeks if we're going back and get something booked. We might want to pause the podcast right now and book a yeah, hotel. Yeah, we might. We might. We'll be right back. Yeah. And we are back. We didn't really go buy um, a hotel reservation. We, in fact, uh, took a moment for a pee break. But you got to make an excuse. Quick bathroom break. Right. It's all right. Quick bathroom break. Professional podcasters. Not a huge deal. People have to pee. These are long podcasts. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? Nature calls. That's right. Um, so the next segment we wanted to do um, related to the Newport Folk Festival is, um, and this was Sean's idea, was to come up with an ideal uh, seven artist lineup. For a festival. Yeah, so, you know, if you look at the lineup for any given day, I mean, there's usually more than seven artists performing, but we're thinking, like, you have one stage, things are kicking off at about 2 p.m., and then they're wrapping up around, like, 9 or 10. Who is the ideal seven-act performance 
of modern day artists who are still making music, who are you know who are still coming out with new records. Uh, what would that be? And usually, you know, when you look at a festival lineup on the poster, you have the headliners and the big bold print, and then it gets smaller and smaller as you go. So we kept that same logic, and we're starting out with you know smaller bands that we'd really like to see, and then we're kind of working our way up to more popular to intermediate to like huge headliners. So this is an ideal festival and it's not um, exclusive to folk. We didn't stick with mm. the folk um, motif. We right. just did this is the, the listening podcast right. uh, festival. Right. Do you want to kick it off? No. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to go? Let, let's both just do our own. I'll go first okay. and then you can do yours. So you lead us off. So my my opening act at my ideal festival this is a very small band they actually haven't even come out with a debut album yet just a collection of very strong critically acclaimed EPs and this is Sheer Mag they are a rock band out of Philadelphia um, you know they actually wouldn't be so out of place at a Newport Folk Fest Jake I think if they were going for one of those soulful kind of in the same vein as Alabama Shakes type of acts Sheer Mag is one that could definitely be there so from what I've heard and seen on YouTube, they put on great performance. I would love to see Sheer Mag in that opening uh, opening slot of my ideal festival. They're not so dissimilar from Alabama Shakes no. either. They, no. Their sounds are actually somewhat similar. Um, same idea where it's a strong lead vocalist who's a female um, performer. And, uh, and yeah, Sheer Mag um, always kills it, it seems. Yep. And their, their EPs yep. are all worth checking out. Yep. So coming in at my sixth slot here, so coming in after Sheer Mag, this, we're getting a little bit more popular. Um, I wanted to go for kind of a, a hard rock, kind of a, kind of a maybe a punk feel to things, really get things kicked off and the energy in the crowd going here. So I, I have a, I'm cheating here. I have a few different options. I'd love Japan Droids if they were still in there. They haven't come out with a new record in a few years, so if you're going to begrudge me that, uh, I'm going to go with somebody like Pup or Beach Slang, who are both also from that Philadelphia, New Jersey-ish, tri-state tri area kind of rock scene that we got going on here. Um, so I think both of them would be great options because they're not so big where they're going to be one of the headliners. They're a good intermediate play here, really going to get the energy up and probably a fun show early on in the day so far if i'm at listening pod fest uh -huh. on the sean stage i'm having a good time yeah these are a couple bands yep. um sheer mag and then whatever one is is next whether it's the pandroids pupper beach slang um a lot of hard rocking going you're, on you're you're ripping it up early you better come in not sober you better yeah you gotta show up after having imbibed yeah yeah for sure so get there early yeah so that's the thing with my festival, I'm I'm putting a couple heavy hitters in terms of like excitement early, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that people don't think, ah, oh, well we'll get there later. You know, I want you there as soon as gates open. My fifth one, and we're starting to get into a little bit more popular acts here, Future Islands. So this is actually a band that I saw at Boston Calling, another festival. They honestly lit the stage on fire, not literally, but in terms of being really engaging, being exciting. Uh, the lead singer. Uh, Sam Welling? Something with a W? Something. Sam something. I'm going to just call him Sam. I just want to say thank you for clarifying that they didn't literally set the, the stage ablaze. I was worried about people's safety and at the Listen In Podfest 
we, safety is safety, paramount. It's, it is number one. It's number one. It's the first rule on the website. That's right. Listeninpodfest.com. Check it out. So I got Future Islands there. Uh, Sam, lead singer, very, very electric performance performer. He's going to be dancing around. He's going to get the crowd involved. A little bit more excitement as we go on throughout the day. So my number four, and this is somebody who played at Newport Folk and put on an amazing show. This is Father John Misty. So what I love about Father John Misty is that he can go one of two ways. He can go contemplative folky like he did at Newport. He can just be up there, him and his guitar, doing his songs. Or he can go full-on rock star frontman um, complete showman with a full backing band. So I think with the way my festival has been going so far, I think he's going to want to bring the energy. He's going to go full front man. Hopefully, he gives us some uh, <laughs> he gives us some interesting stage banter about the current state of the music industry and yes. in capitalism. Uh, he, I hope if at at this stage, I hope Father John goes full modern Jim Morrison like he did for us uh, when we saw him at the House of Blues. Yes. Two very different performances we witnessed by Father John. He's also on my list, but I'll, I'll, I'll uh, reveal that later. But yep. yeah, I agree. I think uh, given the order of performers you've given so far, I think we need Father John up there swinging his mic stand. Absolutely. And like, like laying on the floor and like borderline laying out across the crowd. Yep. That was awesome. Yep. And I think that's what he'll bring to this fest. So my last three here, uh, these are pretty big acts. So number three, I went with Death Cab for Cutie. And the reason why I did is because, A, I've seen them live before. They put on an amazing live show. Number two, they have such a depth and breadth of songs to choose from. You know, Ben Gibbard could get up there and he could do classic Death Cab. He could do pop hit Death Cab. He could even throw in a little solo work or a little Postal Service songs too. Huge variety to choose from. And I think a lot of the people, even if you don't love Death Cab, you know these songs enough where it's still going to be a good time. Uh, So what I'm going for with Death Cab at the number three slot is just people knowing these songs and generally still keeping up, you know, the good time that we've cultivated so far. And like you said, Death Cab is a band. We saw them four years ago, this month actually. Um, four years ago, uh, we saw them in mass, and they put on a great show, and it, it, it wasn't for touring an album. Specifically, it was a, just a general Death Cab tour. I hope they'd bring that to the table yep, where they're playing, you know, sure. like all the hits. For sure. My number two... Uh, this is a band that I've seen a handful of times now. Um, once at Boston Calling. No, twice now at Boston Calling, actually. This is the National. So they are probably one of the biggest indie rock bands out there right now. They will headline or be the second headliner at most festivals. So I think it made sense to put them in at the number two slot here. They just put on a great show. Matt Berninger, the lead singer, he'll get into the crowd. He'll drink like a cask of wine. He will. They, they're, they're tight. They sound really, really good. They do. They're talented musicians and like trained musicians, I believe. Yeah. The guitarists. Yeah, the some classical training. Yeah, so that's going to end up being a very enjoyable show. And they're popular enough where people are really going to know those songs and love them. Um, and then my number one Your here, headliner. Jake, my headliner you know, you need somebody who transcends generations, who transcends fan groups and genres. And I picked Bruce Springsteen for this. I like it. For those reasons, and also, he's going to put on a marathon show. You're going to get your money's worth. So you're starting out hot with the sheer mags, Japan droids of the world. 
you're getting into that sweet spot in the rock with Future Islands, Father John, and Death Cab. You're closing it out with two very strong bands with The National and Bruce Springsteen, who I would I would love. To, I need to go see him live before I'm. He does put on he those stops performing. He does put on those legendary marathon sets with high energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all I've ever heard about him. I think that that's an awesome headliner. And I bet some younger audience members would poo-poo a little bit, but I bet it would be a situation where once they get there, they're already having a good time. Mm-hmm. Bruce gets up on the stage, he plays a song they know, and they're like, well, maybe I stick yeah. around and hear this old and, fogey. And then they're like, oh, he is an amazing performer, and this yeah. sounds really tight. I'm going to stick around. And like one of the best artists of all time. Yeah. Objectively. Yeah. So that's my seven. I would pay so much money to go see that particular lineup at a festival. That would be an uh, amazing uh, festival to go see. So I'll, I'll dive into my seven. So there, mostly this is different. In some situations, we stuck with the same um, bands. Uh, but in seven, the seven slot, the opener, I picked Japan Droids slash maybe one of those bands from the Philly scene, a Sheer Mag, a Sorority Noise, a Modern Baseball, one of those bands. I think it'd be a, they'd be a good, yep. energetic opener. Yep. Um, I feel like Japan Droids... At that one slot might be a little bit of an insult to Japan Droids. Just I think they're more popular than the than that one than that opening slot. Oh, maybe. You know I, what I mean? Well, I, I think given the the way the lineup shook out, I think it will work out all right. Um, yeah. Because uh, I've never seen Japan Droids live. I think I would I would really enjoy the chance to um, to see them in a performance and and kick off a festival. Yeah. With some energy like that. In the sixth slot, I have Father John Misty, so it's another repeat. Um, And we're going to talk more about him later. Number five is where things really start to get interesting. Because at five, Fleet Foxes take the stage. And surprise, surprise, uh, Josh Tillman, a.k.a. Father John Misty, decides to bury possibly a hatchet that's there. I don't know if there's any bad blood. Sounds like he and Robin Pecknell don't really talk, slash never really talked. But he comes out and he drums on maybe some of the song, half a set. He comes on and it's old Fleet Foxes and uh, everybody sings Kumbaya into the night, mm. even though it's still the morning. Um, <laughs> early afternoon. Early afternoon. <laughs> then I have, in the four slot, Tame Impala, which I, like I think one. would be a really cool way to like get the crowd having a little bit of fun. So with Tame Impala, you get some versatility. You have some of the sort of stoner, psychedelic-ish sounds of lonerism. And inner speaker, from what I gather, haven't listened to that as much. And then you have Currents, which has like big hits on it. When he played, um, when he would play, the less I know, the better. Or when um, he would kick into what's the one Rihanna covered? Same old mistakes, different person make the same old mistakes. I feel like the crowd would be loving it. This is I, honestly, Tame Impala is really, really popular. I was looking on Spotify today. They have like every single one of their top five songs is in the tens of millions of wow. listens. Wow! I think this would be one that more people like a lot of people would show up to the festival being like oh I'm excited for Tame Impala and they'd realize oh wait a minute you and everybody else pretty much everyone here is, is ready for, for Kevin Parker to do his thing right. up there on stage right. um, I think that would be a really good one at three I have Vampire Weekend uh, I love Vampire Weekend mm-hmm. every album they've come out with as far as I'm concerned is gold I think they're a lot of fun to see live mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of the first concerts we went to together Sean uh, Vampire Weekend. Wasn't it your first concert? It was my first ever concert. In 2010, uh, at the beginning of our, our college tenure. That's right. We saw them in Boston, and uh, they put on a great show. They're a lot of fun live. They are. Um, They're a good... So, three spots... Th- this could be a band who headlines. They could be. Some festivals. They they, they headline Boston Calling. Um, this is... Yeah, they're... 
really good because I think we don't really realize how popular Vampire Weekend actually is and right. how how many of these songs that just more casual fans even know. They're insanely popular. I was doing a check today. They have songs on Spotify up at like the 70 million listen That's crazy. spot. Wow. Like and, and everything. It's like Drake levels. Yeah, well everything in their top five is consistently like the lowest I want to say is like 25 million out of the top five. They're, they're, they're insanely well known mm-hmm. and, and really well liked. And so... Um, you know, it was a toss-up between them and this next artist of who should theoretically be ahead on the bill, but I picked for the second spot, Kendrick Lamar, mm. to go next. I think he has more cross-cultural appeal. I think he is more important at this point in his career. I mean, Vampire Weekend is a fun band, and they do a lot of interesting things. Kendrick Lamar um, does a lot of really important stuff with his music, socially, politically, whatever you want to, however you want to frame it. Um, and also... Puts on a pretty electric show. I actually always forget that I saw Kendrick um, in Boston at the Garden opening for Kanye West, mm. which is a crazy double bill. Yeah. Um, That's, yeah. But every time Kendrick ever plays like SNL or one of the late shows, he always brings a ton of fire and he always brings new sort of um, improv verses that he has kicking around and just like brings the thunder with them. So I'd be really excited for that. Um, and so with my, my headliner, I went a similar route to you, Sean. I picked Paul McCartney. Um, little personal reason, obviously big Beatles fan. I think it'd be fun to see Paul. Um, he's in his 70s now. You know, who knows how much longer we'll have him. Um, the other thing is, like Springsteen, I was recently looking at Paul McCartney's sets. He puts on long, long mm. sets. Mm-hmm. And he, if you look through the set list, you know, like, of the like maybe 25, 30 songs he plays, you know most of them. So he'd be playing Beatles hits that literally everyone knows, even if they're not a Beatles fan. He's playing McCartney solo songs, Maybe I'm Amazed, Band on the Run. Mm. He's playing Live and Let Die. He's got the best solo stuff to draw from of any Beatle. I think in in a concert, festival context. Just in terms of songs and the, and yeah. the breadth of his career. Yeah. And he has so much. Maybe he busts out four or five seconds. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, if it were right, a festival right. where maybe Rihanna or Kanye had been there, maybe they'd jump out there. They were not invited. <laughs> Kendrick was invited. So let me ask you this. Now that you've, you've given us your seven, uh, you're more excited to see Kendrick now than Kanye, right? I would be too. Yes. Yeah, me too. I am. Uh, and I think... In any other festival, so say you remove a Paul McCartney or a Bruce Springsteen level... Kanye's headlining that. ...generation-spanning superstar, from my list, Kendrick, I think, will be number one. If you remove McCartney... Oh, like I, oh yeah, yeah, It would be yeah. a toss-up between yeah. him and Vampire Weekend. Yeah. I think you have to give it to Kendrick. Yeah. Because he's the, the solo act, he's a singular artist who's respected by critics and fans alike mm-hmm. and just so well-beloved. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I think that um, I'd be super pumped to see Kendrick. I'd be less so to see Kanye, even though... When I did see him uh, three years ago now, um, he put on a really amazing show. Like, as a showman and as just uh, someone who can put on a concert that's an experience and is fun, he really lit it up. So, I mean, Kanye was in the consideration, but I feel like for 2016, for um, a modern music festival, Kendrick might might be a little more exciting. Yeah, makes sense. Makes but yeah, sense. Yeah. So I, think I we, like that. So, uh, yeah, we both gave our seven. If you guys could tweet out what your ideal lineup would be, with the rules being you can't stuff it with every big name out there. You can't be like, I want to see Arcade Fire, 
I want to see Rihanna and Kanye all in the same bill. That's that can't happen. That's not gonna happen. Do it kind of how we structured it. We, you know, we cheated here and there, but generally do it from not so well known up to a big big name. Give us what your ideal seven person lineup would be, or just least famous to famous, right? To most famous, yes, whatever. Yep. Um, so let's talk now, Jake. Speaking of that, about our favorite performances that we saw at Newport Folk Fest. So um, we've been teasing it. We should just jump right in with Father John. I think we I, should. See, I was just thinking, Father John, I think deserves almost his own podcast to talk about. Like, I think we should talk about him in the context of how he was at Newport. But with all the stuff and the news that's been going on with him, I would love to do like a deep dive on on Father John Misty. I would Maybe too. like a twenty minute separate thing. So we're not talking about him. No, we can still talk about him, like how he was at Newport. Right. Um, well, he put on a great show, and he showed up um, on stage, no band, just acoustic guitar, sang a bunch of songs that we knew and that he's released from his first two albums, Fear Fun and I Love You, Honey Bear. Um, and sounded really great, and I, I remember before he came on, I talked to Sean, and I was like, what do you think, how do you think this is going to go? Do you think you're going to enjoy it as much or less since it's just him and an acoustic guitar? And we didn't know what to expect. I think, for me, I ended up enjoying it as much as the previous show for just entirely different reasons. I would agree with that. Very different reasons. So, he gets up there, and he's wearing this, like, breezy linen shirt and, like, these these like big pants he's got his hair and his beard and sunglasses i was just like dude look at this guy yeah look at him a regular messiah he that he does he looks like a, a messiah figure he looks like jesus christ come down in the 21st century to, to play acoustic guitar and sing, sing jaded folk songs yeah so he starts performing and well actually i think before that even he kind of got up there and was already telling jokes and kind of I don't even know really how he started, but he was talking about how the shirt he was wearing was stolen from the sale of a boat from a rich person who was watching the Ryan Adams show on the other side of the, the festival because Ryan Adams had taken a dig at him before, earlier in, the, or earlier in the, the festival. He was saying that Father John's probably out, like, freaking out on a boat somewhere. Because of what happened the night before. So, and that's a big part of how this performance was framed. Was Shaped. The, the day before, Father John was playing at another festival in New Jersey, I believe. And he ended up leaving the stage after talking for a bit, doing, like, a couple cover songs, and then he, he left. People were very unhappy about it on Twitter, he got to the stage at the fort and he basically talked about how he was standing next to a battleship in New Jersey where this concert was taking place that he was supposed to be performing at. And he just really felt despair, he said, about the state of the world right now, mostly because of, he said, our idiot King Trump. Was just coronated right. at the RNC. And he Did was you- very, very upset about it. Did you see any of the video of, of his rant? I did not. At this performance? I watched it. It wasn't the whole thing. I don't like calling it a rant, by the way. Why not? I, I think that has a negative connotation to it. Well, it's, rant, it's, it's a clickbait headline. Check out Father John Misty's rant about this. And he actually made a comment about that at the show. He goes, I'm going to stop now before this is labeled as a rant. And, like, he gets it. Right. 
I was just calling it that as a general term. Um, they didn't have the full thing on in this video. It was just like a minute long clip of it, and he said sort of a lot of the things he said to us at our show about how how can he was basically saying how can this be happy right now? He was like, we don't we don't deserve to be happy in this moment when with all that's going on and he was saying I can't sit here and play board in the USA for you right now mm-hmm. he was like with all the context you know of what's what's occurring and uh, I hadn't seen that leading up to the show but when he got on stage he, he said um, you know I think people here at Newport were worried about me being able to right. come on right and um, you know he he was in rare form I'd say he I, Father John if you've ever listened to his music you know he is an incredibly jaded individual, someone who has very little faith in basically all the major pillars that hold up American society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that he was particularly sardonic and sort of just wry and and sort of that just quiet, dry humor coming out where he was just poking fun at everything. At one point, um, audience members were getting up and leaving. And, and he was like, oh, I guess there, there must be a, uh, um, a washboard seminar somewhere on the grounds. He was actively making fun of Newport while we were there, yep. which, which I ate up. Yeah. But like we were saying at the festival, if you're, say, an older... Graham Nash played right before him. If you're someone who's in the 50s, 60s and was, is at Newport Folk Festival, to first of all, just be in a nice area during a nice summer day and come see a concert and Father John's on... And he's saying this stuff, and he's sort of up there, just sort of on his soapbox. I can see why you'd want to leave. But for me, it was a lot of fun that he was poking fun at them and at the culture in general, because nothing sacred and Newport Folk, like anything, is is just a commercial enterprise, really. Absolutely. That's what and it comes down to. So what I had mentioned at the top of the show was how there's a sense of community and how music brings people together. That is just something that's being sold to me. Which is true. And he played a new song all about how the concert go- goer will pay you to believe. And honestly, there's some there's some real truth to that. Yeah. Which I appreciated him speaking about. Um, the other thing, too, is... So, when we were, were watching him perform, in the moment, I was like, this feels very much like a historic performance. I mean, I felt the same way. You even got, now there's that famous keep your fucking burrito money line or whatever it was that came out of that when he was talking about how Chipotle offered him a quarter of a million dollars to do a cover of the Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. And, yeah. you know, that became headlines the next day. And so, like, we got that famous line out of it. And while we were there, I was like, you know what? This feels very much like our 21st century 2016 version of Dylan Goes Electric. It's right. not going to be the same kind of drastic... Well, it did create headlines. It's not going to be the same drastic thing that maybe that was, but I think in our own way, in the music culture that we have now, in the internet culture that we have now, Father John Misty is exactly what we need yeah. and gave us our own version of what Dylan did back in Newport. What's really funny is that the the sort of controversy from either of those two events, Father John up there talking about Newport and sort of the state of affairs versus Dylan pulling out an electric guitar and playing on stage, the re- the negative or whatever backlash there might have been or whatever controversy it might have stirred comes from almost opposite places. 
because Dylan going electric was seen as that's a move towards the commercial. That's a move towards mm-hmm. what everything this festival is against. In 2016, Newport Folk Festival is a different event. It's it, it's selling you that mythos. It's selling you that history. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's still a fun time. I don't say that to be like, oh, it's just commercialism, man, blah, blah, blah. But it is. Right. That's what it is. It's like everyone there is just buying in. Really what you have to do is suspend your disbelief a little bit. Yep. When you go to a festival like this, you have to forget the fact that food is nine, ten bucks a pop. That you paid hundreds of dollars to be here that security lines take a half hour to walk through and that if anywhere you are you're not close enough to the artists like you thought you were going to be I, that's not for me to say that I didn't have a good time which it now sounds like because I did but you you have to at least acknowledge that part of the festival experience is buying in and suspending a little bit of your pessimism to have fun and that was what he was speaking to it's like going going to see a big summer blockbuster yeah it's like going to see a Christopher Nolan movie which is posturing as um, a thinking man's movie right but in reality no it's just another summer popcorn movie and you're like yeah I'm gonna pay eight fifty for popcorn I'm gonna pay five dollars for a large drink that I can't refill at this theater but it's worth it for the experience right. and maybe summer blockbusters like music festivals aren't as fun as they're cracked up to be. There are things about them that are not that great. Yep. And that's what he was, I think a big part of what he was speaking to is he's like, look, I'll, so much of this is just, it's kind of fake. Yep. You understand that folk music is being used to sell things. Sell things. That's, that's what his whole thing about was. His, he came out on Twitter and he said, my whole comment about the Chipotle burrito thing was to shed light on the fact that I don't know what the point of folk music now is besides just selling things, which is very, very true. He even had that comment where he, which I think was the one comment he made that more than anything else sort of unsettled people in the audience. And it was when he said, he was talking about authenticity, he was talking about the true meaning of folk, and he said, one day there's going to be a real folk hero not too long from now, and I don't know when and I don't know where, but it's going to be someone of a minority race, basically, and they're going to rise up and start a real revolution, and we're all going to have to die. And he was dead serious. He was dead serious, and and like I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Basically, what this performance became was I was enjoying the songs, but I was even more excited for after songs. I was like, what's he gonna say next mm-hmm. to stir the pot with these sort of like sort of bougie people who are posturing as as folk fans and as sort of peaceful loving you know free flowing la di da people like he he sees right through that what I loved too though and I want to get more into this because I honestly I want to talk about him more than what we probably have time for in this folk fest recap is he acknowledged as well on stage he's like this is a song called Born in the USA he goes I don't know how I feel about this song anymore but basically when I wrote this it was about how um, you know you need to just feel the pain that you have even if it feels inauthentic to you you can't hide from your pain because some other people group who you perceive to be more authentic you know wouldn't feel it. He's or like, is Let's, feeling more pain. Right. Like, we just need to all feel our yuppie pain. And it's so true because, like, even though he's railing against this culture and a lot of the people there, he understands that he's a part of it and he's a voice of those people. And a song like Bored in the USA is basically all about, you know, I'm comfortable in my life, but these are the things that I have to deal with and this is the pain that I deal with 
even when things on the surface are seemingly okay. And, and the things that I hate mm-hmm. in my life that's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Father John, and then we can move on if we don't want to do too much on him, but the thing I kind of came away thinking is sort of two parts. One is he's sort of a voice for the sort of disillusioned generation that we seem to have in 2016 of... I would say predominantly white young people who have only ever known privilege but do have a twinge of that feeling of, I don't deserve this, why am I so well off, and you see through the facade of of the bullshit that people buy, which is that you deserve this because you're an American, and you were born this way, so never question why you were lucky enough to have it. He sees through that, and it really speaks to me. The other thing is, is he's like this sort of messiah figure like I said before he goes up there he looked like Jesus like you said the long beard the long hair the flowy shirt I feel like he's one of these maybe dating back to Kurt Cobain you could see others but he's an example of a self-loathing sort of voice of a generation he's yeah. a guy who who understands what he's doing and can't help but hate it because he kind of sees through every element of it in that new song that he played it's called Leaving LA I think and I looked for it and I think this was the first time he ever played it actually it was a you know what it kind of reminded me of was a Desolation Row type of deal it was like a 10 verse 15 minute long no chorus song with the exception that it was very um, sort of open and earnest and really it was really clear what he was singing about Whereas in Desolation Row, a song like that, I know you were were comparing it on the length, I know, but like, this was also a song that was incredibly, uh, what's the word? Very vulnerable. Vulnerable, that's the word I'm looking for. Very personal look into what Father John Misty is thinking and feeling and how he kind of resents this character he's created and what it has come to mean to people. And he's like, this is all bullshit. Like, you think you know what I'm talking about, you actually don't. Um, But overall... That was my favorite performance of the entire weekend. It was mine it too. Was one of the most thought-provoking pieces of art I've ever seen in my life. Um, I've thought about it every single day and been fascinated with it since we saw him. It w- it was great. Yeah, it was incredible. And honestly, um, you know, given all of the other great artists we saw at the festival, I don't want to shortchange them, but but it really was my favorite, and it was really. Like it should be if you're talking about Newport Folk Festival. It was for the moment. It was for yes. what it came to represent and the it, memory I have associated with it. Because you could be a band and get up and play a tight, note-for-note, perfect set, and I won't remember it like I do this Father John set. Right. And we didn't even talk about the music. He played great. Yeah, he did. He played a bunch. Well, we talked a little bit, but we didn't talk about the songs he actually and, and, you played. Know, and that's the thing of that I think was so great about it. He transcended what the music actually was. Right. And I think that is very important in terms of being a historical performance and a really meaningful performance. Because, you know, if you want to talk about note for note sounding great, you know, you can look to A Frightened Rabbit, who we yeah. saw. It was like the, one of the first bands we really, really were there for and saw. Um, they're one of my favorite bands. I love them. They sounded great. I had a great time watching them. Wasn't the same as Father John Misty, though. It wasn't. Um, and just to hop on the Frightened Rabbit train, because I feel we'll continue to talk about Father John until this podcast goes for two hours. Because yeah, I could, I really could seriously. sort of we'll, parse through that the we'll, whole time. We're gonna do, we're gonna do a follow up Father John solo episode. That they were selling a shirt at the at the festival. It was just bright yellow, and it was just his face and it just said Misty on it. The performance alone, I was like, I maybe have to buy that. Yeah. I didn't buy it. 
Um, you I've can ex- grab it on online yeah. if you want to. I say you got it at the festival. I'll just say I got it. Yeah. Um, so, but Frightened Rabbit. So this is a band that Sean is more into than I am. But I've always liked Frightened yeah. Rabbit. Everything I've I ever heard by them. Huge into Frightened Rabbit. Right. I had actually already seen them at House of Blues a few months ago. Um, basically, they played about the same type of set. With they, they took out a few songs because they didn't have as long of a time to play. However, I was really impressed with the um, the reaction they got from the crowd on a lot of songs. That, a lot of crowd participation, interaction, and and they seem to be eating it up. They're like, "Wow, this is this is amazing. You yeah, guys are great." I totally agree. That was a common theme throughout the festival, and that was wh- uh, one area where I was I felt very present and like very much believed the mythology too. of the Me festival. Too. Because there was this feeling that every artist was getting their due from the crowd. Yep. Another example is Julian Baker, great who example. put on a great performance just up there alone for the most part with an, with uh, her electric guitar. I think it was a Telecaster, and she was just doing her thing. Um, if you've listened to Julian Baker, you know it's confessional, sparse um, singer songwriter music with electric guitars with very minimal effects. She did have a guy up there playing a floor tom drum with her, uh, which I think was a good effect. The crowd was eating it up. Her, whenever Julian did her thing where her voice would raise to a, like a borderline scream, the crowd would give it up for her. Yeah. There were a lot of supporters there for her. There were, and I think a lot of people knew her music right. that were at this particular performance, which was great. Um, she seemed... You know, we saw her in Portsmouth a few months ago as well, and... Um, she seemed very nervous there. I think maybe less so at this one. I think she just kind of embraced this opportunity a little bit more. I think she also understood. She's like, this is great. Got a standing ovation before she even played. Um, I was reading a recap article that said that like she was in tears herself at one point. It looked like it. From, from where I was sitting, it looked like the reaction from the crowd. I mean, you got to think. Did I read she's 20 years old? 21? Yeah, she's like 21. She's, she's really young. This has to be the first experience like this she's ever yeah. had. And I could tell... I mean, we were sitting way back in the tent. But even from where we were sitting, I feel like after songs I could tell she was truly moved and, and surprised by the reaction she, she was. was getting. She had to be nervous. She was. She was playing for a huge crowd. And when she would wrap a song up and finish up, there were some songs where people were standing up for just the song, not the end of the set. Right. They were standing up and really giving her like a, a serious hand. Yep. And uh, and she started. I saw a smile break. It made me feel really good for her. Yeah, me too. She I, deserves I, it. I, she does. She's been, I think, touring pretty relentlessly since uh, her her record came out, Sprained Ankle, um, which everybody should check out. I, really, really good story that came out of this. That's one of those new newcomer performances that kind of a, maybe a breakthrough moment for her. On the opposite side of the newcomer coin, we have the old timer side of the coin. That's right. With Graham Nash. That's right. So. Um, Graham Nash, uh, member of Crosby, Stills and Nash, as we've uh, mentioned before. I don't know what the deal is with that band. They're occasionally a band, sometimes Neil Young's part. Who knows if they're an active band right now? They could very well be. Um, but Graham Nash, this is this was the the uh, sort of consummate example of um, how a younger artist will come on, and maybe you're more excited to see them, and you're not as excited to see someone like a Graham Nash. But once he starts performing, you're like, whoa. You can tell the decades of musicianship. Dude. This He sounded so tight and so good. This is exactly what I was referring to earlier when I talked about go and see people who you weren't expecting to see because you're going to end up being pleasantly surprised. Graham Nash was the example of that. 
I was like, all right, yeah, I'll watch Graham Nash. This will be cool from a historical perspective. I can say I saw Graham Nash. He got up there, and he started out with, uh, what was that song? He said It was like military something. Something. I don't remember. It, it was really, really good. I was like, wait, whoa, like, is this what we're going to get? Because this is awesome. And it, like, kind of only got better from there. Um, he sounded great. He played great. The guitarist he had with him, um, Shane Fontaine, I think his name is. Great name. Seriously. Big who, friend of the Who has pod. played lead guitarist with Sting, Bruce Springsteen, and now is a collaborator of uh, Graham Nash. Very, very talented. He played a great lead guitar on this. Um, he was playing a slide. Yeah. And it sounded so, like, it just the notes were right on. It, yep. it, if you've ever tried to play a slide on, a, on just a regular guitar, it's hard to find the notes perfectly. And he was playing really sort of concise quick little melodies on there um and and i was really really impressed by the sound they were getting from just the two of them and graham nash's voice sounds great sounded really good is he must be 70 right he's got he's got to be in his 70s i mean he sounded great we mentioned this earlier before but he kind of channeled that like classic 60s folk kind of vibe um that protest vibe which was really cool to see and then we got some good sing-alongs to some crosby stills and nash classics like um Teach your children. Uh, our house. Our house. Oh, that might be. Our house might be the Hollies. Oh, okay. Either is it way, the Hollies. Because and that's the other thing about Graham Nash is he has this history. He was in the Hollies, who had a ton of hits, including uh, "Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress," uh, "Bus Stop," yeah. um, and then he was in Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who had. Um, whole, no, it's Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, is it? Yeah. Our house is. Yeah. Because that sounds. I bet, I, mean, I bet he wrote that one because it sounds very much like that Brit pop sound. Which is not what they were totally about. Right. It, fun fact about Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they were kind of the first Foreigner. Because the band Foreigner, they were so named, I didn't ever expect it to be talking about Foreigner on a podcast. No, on the Newport recap. No, but they were just a quick little sidebar. They were so named Foreigner because uh, there were members who were American, there were members who were British, so no matter where they went in the world, someone would be a Foreigner. Which is true of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. There you go. He's British, and then Stephen Stills, and I assume David Crosby, are American. That's right. That's right. Learn something new every day. There you go. New segment. Um, then Alabama Shakes wrapped up things. They were great. However, I was, and this was actually, I was pleasantly surprised. This was my most surprising and maybe most purely audience enjoyment um, performance of the entire weekend was Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Yes. I did not expect this. I saw that they were the second-to-last headliner before Alabama Shakes. I was like, you know what? I wouldn't care if I missed them entirely and just camped out for Alabama Shakes. They were so goddamn good. They were. They embodied that whole thing about music as community and bringing people together vibe that I talked about. They're a big part of why I felt that way. I was watching them, and I saw the, the lead singer... Um, was in the crowd, dancing around, having people sing parts of songs. I just had a smile on my face during this. I don't even listen to them that much. I know that I know a few of the hits. Obviously, everybody knows "Home." I know "Jangling." I know a couple of the other songs. They put on an amazing show. They did, and this is this goes back to your advice that you you uh, offered our listeners, which is is you stick around for the acts that you're not sure about. Because you might just get a gem, and I really feel we got that with Edward yeah. Sharp, because 
like you said, he was interacting with the crowd. He was running through the crowd and uh, and and getting people involved singing. There was even a point where he uh, it was I think on home or it was on one of the last songs that they played. Um, he went into the audience. And the band, he just had the band holding down the beat, the main riff of the song, and he was in the audience, and he was saying, who wants to come say something? Like, who wants to just say something that's on their mind? Uh, like, he was just letting people talk openly into the microphone with no plan, they didn't have to sing anything. And one girl got on the mic, and she said, you know, I just started college, I deal with a lot of anxieties, and I just want to thank everybody here for being so generous and so amazing. And started to cry. And I was like, this is such an honest, vulnerable moment for this girl and for this band to facilitate. Yeah. The, those are the experiences it you kind of go for. honestly amazing. And I think certain people would poo-poo that and say, that's, you know, that's contrived. Honestly, though, I, I felt something in that that only live music can bring. Yeah. And that, it was, it was awesome. And the reason I don't think it was a contrivance was that she seemed to feel like it was meaningful. Right. The, the, I don't know who it was. I couldn't see her. She was up in the front. We were way in the back. But but the tone of her voice sounded like, again, verging on tears or actually crying. Yeah. So you could tell this was meaningful to her. And, you know, who knows? I, again, like, substances could be involved. She could have been drunk. She could have been high. Who cares? It's part of the experience. And if that's what you're feeling, it's cool that this brings it out of, of, of her and other people who were there. Absolutely. Yeah, so Edward Sharp, one of the, the diamonds in the rough there. The other thing, and I wasn't sure if we were going to gloss over Alabama Shakes, they closed out, not their set, Sean, but the festival with a cover of Night Moves Night by Moves. Bob Seger. Which was amazing. We were loving it. We were all about it. <laughs> <laughs> we were all about it. I was all in on Night Moves. I've never... It sounded great. It, it sounded awesome. I think I sang the I woke last night to the Sound of Thunder line like 15 times before it actually came on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I I actually am not like a biggest Bob Seger fan, but that's one of the like five songs by him I really yes, like. Yep. Night Moves is great, and it was it was an interesting... I did hope a little bit that they would put a pin in the, in the whole thing by playing one more Alabama Shakes original, but it ended with Night Moves. A ballsy move. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's in the spirit of Newport, though. Because if you look at a Patti Smith, who played, uh, who headlined Saturday, she did almost all covers. Right, yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the vibe throughout, is people do a lot of covers, they do a lot of homages, they, they kind of take a look back at influencers and history, and I think that was a great example of it, and I think was totally in the spirit of Newport. I would just say that if there were odds, like if there were odds makers on this, if there was a bookie for Newport folk, yeah. and they said, okay, the festival will end in a cover, what band or artist will be covered, you'd have money on like a Buffalo Springfield, uh, money on a Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Mary on, Dillon. Yeah, on like a, a I don't know, a, a Joe Cocker, or someone from Woodstock, or yep. someone, you know what I mean, like an original folky. Bob Seger's odds would have been astronomical. You could have gotten good value there. You would, we would have cleaned up. Yeah, he, fact, would, he would have been like a plus 800. Yeah, you, and, and who would have bet that? Who would bet Bob Seger? I know, some degenerate. Seriously, he's like, ooh, those are long odds. Yeah, I'll take like, those yeah, and make a good quick, value. Yeah. Make a quick buck. Yeah. And that person's now rolling in the dough. They are. Good so for good them. on them. Good for them. Good for that degenerate. Overall, lo I had a great time. I would absolutely go again. Um, I honestly think regardless of what the set list is, you're going to have a good time. Or who, who, the, who the people are playing. The lineup. The lineup. I think you're going to have a good time. Um, I, I really want to go again. I loved it. 
I would too. And, uh, you know, despite all the the sort of um, jaded thoughts that left my mouth when I was talking about Father John, um, that's just a sidebar to me having fun. Right. Because it was fun, but there's also a part well, of me I, that... I think you and I both understand that you can have two thoughts in your brain at the same time, and you right. can say, you know what, yeah, in this moment I'm having fun, but at the same time, I do understand that this is being sold to me. Right, and a perfect example is like if I'm at Six Flags, if I'm at an amusement park, I'm going to have fun on the roller coasters. And I'm like, going to have fun on the rides. Is it going to stop me from from thinking, oh, this like cup with Bugs Bunny on it shouldn't be thirty dollars? Right. No. And like you're having an experience with your friends and the people you care about and the people you trust the most. Right. It's, hard not to have a fun time in that context and honestly I think live music is one of the more pure things that you can do um, you know if you compare it to like going to an amusement park I think live music is a yep. much more thoughtful and it lends itself to having a genuinely good time than something like a Six Flags and I was just going to say that, that is an analogy only it's not even that apt an analogy yeah. it's definitely apples and origins be. Orig- oranges, not orig- origins, Jesus. Oh, man. We'll edit that out. Um, but uh, definitely an apples and oranges situation. Um, you know, I'm just saying, like, overall, anywhere you go, you can find the reasons to be jaded. I don't mean to sell Newport short. It is a really awesome experience. Yeah. It's worth anyone going if you have any bit of interest. Yeah. Um, and I would definitely suggest it. And Jake. I had a great time. Jake, folk on. Folk on, man. Just folk on. Folk on. All right. Uh, so folk on until next week and or when we do this Father John solo recap on all the news that's been going down with him. Fascinating guy. So stay tuned. Thanks, everybody. Bye. in future Mike. Mm. <laughs> Fuck, man. So, uh, Dream Team, our uh, microphone broke. We brought it down in... <laughs> Dude, we're such a Bush League operation. <laughs> oh our, my god. Our one microphone for our, this two-person operation Jesus broke. Christ. We, we went down to Newport Folk Festival and we... we, we Assume that it broke at some point while waiting in the car because we couldn't check into the hotel. My only question is, why did my laptop survive the heat wave and not my this mic? Dude, they're different pieces of technology. This mic probably had something inside of it that, if it gets to be you know 120 degrees, probably probably not good. Probably cooked in that like car a was hand. was probably. <laughs> Yeah, that car was probably warm enough to like cook an egg to slow roast like a like a pork chop. Ugh. So yeah, so we're, uh, back we're out. On... We're out our one hundred and fifty dollar mic. Damn, we're back on the other mic. We're gonna have to like also. Prime team came up small. We didn't get a single tweet. We didn't, and about... it's actually which made me self conscious because I was like, oh, the thing I said about them not actually liking the podcast is true. You're right. I was like. Yeah. 
I was like, oh, remember I said that we're the the person that gives you a job application? Yes. It's like, yes. put in a good word, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally, yes. man, totally. Yep. Yep. And then you never do because you know it will reflect badly on you. Yep. That's so, you us. know, Supreme Team, are we hurt? Yes. Will we hold it against you? Yes. But, you know, is this the last podcast we're ever going to do as a result? Dude, honestly, with the way we're going, with the lack of Prem Team support, with my laptop not wanting to work for shit, for it being really slow, with our mic crapping out on us, with this light going out on us, yeah, with it being so hot. Right. Dude. There's no good reason to continue. In no. fact, I think we need... If you've listened to this point of the episode, send us some kind of self-esteem boost. We need something. Be it a tweet or like a handwritten card. Something. We want to send you some stickers. Yeah, we that's still, all we want to do. We want, like, so, out of our pocket. We want to go to the fucking postcard post <laughs> store, to the post office, and buy some goddamn Liberty Bell stamps and send shit to you. And you won't even, like, make us go do that. You no. won't even inconvenience us to go do that. You know, I wasn't even going to mention this, but then the mic breaking was the strongest <laughs> Dude, oh my god, I know. I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, we're not, this is our darkest hour. I wasn't going to say anything. This is like when a married couple has been together 30 years, and, like, something has been pissing off one of them for <laughs> yeah. a long time, and they weren't going to say anything, but they got home and the goddamn bed wasn't made again. <laughs> and that's all the other one has to do. And it just wasn't done again. And they're like, you know what? I wasn't going to say anything, honey. I don't for 15 mind, years. I don't mind you being unemployed for the past 12 months. I love you and I support you through whatever. The last, the only thing I ask is that the mic doesn't break. Doesn't Some important piece doesn't melt in the goddamn car. Uh, we sounded like robots on that mic. It was really bad. It sounded like an Aphex Twin song. Maybe we use it for some, like, like some singles or something. You know, we were, we were, actually, you know what? This is the origin story where really famous albums they're like origin and recording they go the microphone they intended to use on the recording of this debut LP was actually broken and they didn't know it until they were recorded the first song and then after hearing what it sounded like they decided to record the whole album that way Pitchfork, best new music, 9.1 out of 10 yeah, or like it's a retrospective review in which they give it a a retroactive 10 yep Um, upon um, not being loved critically at first. But yeah, at this point, the listening podcast, this is maybe the lowest of lows. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But born out of, of, of the depths of despair um, is great we'll, art. Will rise like a phoenix from the ashes. That's exactly right. Um, hopefully this isn't the tenor of the whole episode. Ah, I know. It can't be because we actually we have good, good stuff to talk about. We have a good about. episode, man. I just, you know, the mic. The sucks. Mic. What are we going to do? It sucks. We have to buy a new mic. We have to go in on another mic. We could just use this one. We could. Well, let's hear how it sounds. Yeah. We're not going to get any complaints. No one cares. No. Dude. No one listens. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? I think maybe switching to Thursdays has not helped our, our, our listening listeners. I think you're right. We've <laughs> trended less. You know what? First of all, I think... It's too close to the weekend, and maybe people just don't listen to podcasts on weekends as much. Yeah, that could be it. Um, also, th- I had that thought way back. I was like, well, maybe this will... Thursday to Friday um, is a packed podcast day. Yep. Much better ones than ours. Yeah. And then by the time the new week rolls around, it's like, oh. This is um, old news. Yeah. Jake and Sean's podcast maybe, is old news. Yeah, maybe we... I don't know. Maybe we need to rethink when we... when At least when we release the episode. Yeah. 
Well, we're gonna have to see. We have a lot to think about. Yeah, we do. We got some soul searching to do. We do, and we gotta we gotta pick up the mood for for this episode. Yeah, we do. We, gotta, yeah, we do. We, you know, because if I were listening to this, I think I'd shut it the hell off. <laughs> I'd probably go like kill myself. Yeah. So <laughs> so send help. Hashtag. Yeah. Um, what, what should be our trending hashtag? Hashtag like, who even gives a fuck? Save the listening podcast. It's too long a hashtag. <laughs> too long. Even our hashtags are too long. Too long. All right, let's Too start long. this. All right, all right, let's dive in. Let's dive in. It should be a good one. Three, two, one. <laughs>